Welcome to L&D Plus, where learning is a team sport. I'm Joey, and in each episode, my co-host Tom and I will bring you real stories of collaborative learning from the world's leading companies. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Carol Cinco, Senior Vice President and Marcel Class's Global Lead at Publicist Group. Carol supports Publicist Group's peer-driven L&D efforts, bringing together the company's more than 90,000 creative minds to share their expertise and solve problems. Right now, Carol is leading a team of 10 learning staff supporting these 90,000 learners across the world, including a matrix of L&D teams in the UK, Germany and China. Today, we'll chat to Carol about her accidental path into L&D, how Publicist Group is using AI to channel its collective expertise and build great learning content, and why now it's the time for L&D to slow down and return to the basics. Before we begin, Carol, how about a few words of introduction? Thank you for having me, Tom and Joy. I'm really excited to be part of your session today. I, as was mentioned in the introduction, I lead the Marcel Classes team, uh, Marcel is Publicis Group's internal collaboration tool. Mm-hmm. So Marcel Classes is just one aspect of that, um, but is really where we go for all collaborative formal learning versus our more on-the-job learning, right? So if you think about traditional learning activities a few years ago, Marcel Classes is actually the learning management system for Publicis Group. And I've been with the group for 14 years moved through a lot of different roles, a lot of different uh, agencies and organizations within Publicis Group. All of that time, I've really focused on learning and getting people into the information that they need to be more successful in their jobs as quickly and as efficiently and as fun, having as much fun as possible. For sure. And uh, you mentioned that you became an L&D leader somewhat by accident. Um, can you tell us more about your story? Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. I was talking to some colleagues earlier, and we were talking about the role of learning and development in the corporate world. Um, and it's it's a role that a lot of people know about. But when you're studying, when you're a student, even as a child, it's definitely not a role that anyone is aware of, yeah. right? So you become exposed to this once you're working. But it's not the kind of role that Kids are sitting down dreaming, one day I will be an instructional designer, (laughs) or one day I will lead the learning management administration for a large global network of advertising companies. It's just one of those jobs. It's not exactly like a, you know, astronaut, famous chef, famous instructional designer, right? right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Influencer, right? (laughs) Which I think my kids are interested in being. It's definitely not one of those things on your radar. And I did have... um, a traditional four-year college education with a liberal arts background that I really appreciated and then really had no clue how I wanted to apply that to a career. And I was Same. fortunate enough to, right? It is. <laughs> and thinking back, it's a, it's a job, it's a preparation for a lot of jobs. And I think that that's the point of a liberal arts education. But when you're 18, 19, 20, you actually don't understand that that's the point of your education is the communication, the problem solving, the collaboration on all those team projects. Um, You don't understand how that actually applies to a a career. Mm. Um, And certainly my colleagues that were pre-med or, you know, engineering students, their education was more directly applicable to their eventual careers. Mm-hmm. For me, I had the luck to be able to get a job using our on-campus recruiting. And that job was with a 
company that runs courses for students preparing for standardized exams. Um, so in the United States, the SAT mm. is kind of falling out of fashion, but it, it for a long time was the standard to take in order to ent- gain entrance to a college or university. And then there are all kinds of other standardized exams for graduate school, medical school. And they really, this company was just looking for people with a four-year degree. They, you know, young people that were willing to work, that was their only criteria. Mm -hmm. And I was a good match for that because that was my only, (laughs) my only skill at the time. (laughs) Um, But that job gave me the opportunity to understand learning in a corporate environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though our clients were students, it was the business of running a training program that I learned first. Um, And I think that that's very different from a lot of practitioners in the learning and development space, because a lot of them, in my experience, people I've met over the years, we've, what a lot of people find is that they get good at a certain thing, whether it's team management or, you know, agile coding or, you know, certain aspects of a job that someone decides, oh, you're so good at this, you should teach people how to do it in our company. Mm -hmm. And then they're, they're thrown into being the training person, um, without any kind of background on how you actually can effectively teach adults in a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. I had a very different experience knowing how do you, how many how do we make profit out of making sure we have enough students in this room and how do we get the materials there? Um, and so that was my introduction into to the learning and development world. And then I moved into some of that other core fundamentals of instructional design. Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. So it's it's almost like at the start you developed more of a, I guess, a consulting or kind of a business uh, practitioner mindset at, at the start there, and, and focus on being more of a generalist. It sounds like than than specialising too early. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the funny thing is that I then, when I left that company and went into my first real de- training delivery role, mm-hmm. it was incredibly specialised. It was a software development company. Mm-hmm that built software for banks and brokerage firms processing futures and futures options. So I went from the broadest possible, um, do you know, you know, basic math for the SAT Mm -hmm. all the way to a really specialized helping people understand a really complicated software system. Mm -hmm. Um, But having that background of knowing what is important logistically really helped me design training programs for a really specialized software um, in a way that, again, I tried to make it fun. Mm -hmm. It was really, really a lot of minutiae in this course, (laughs) but I tried to make it fun and and had a lot of um, a lot of good success in getting people up to speed on that program. How did you approach the like coming into a very specialized field and you not necessarily being an expert in it, um, having to like provide training for it must have been like quite a challenge. What was your it was terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I thought, wow, I don't know anything about programming. I don't know anything about futures and options. Yeah. Um, I And I, you know, I think when we first started talking, one of the things that I really am noticing in today's world is that learning and development staff are a little terrified themselves because there's so much demand on us right now. But thinking about my own journey, I remember going back to that job where I was first tasked with the delivery of training instead of the administration of training. And it was a very basic pattern. In that job, you had to do standard train the trainer. 
there were teachbacks involved where before I was ever put in front of a group of students, I had to teach my boss the material that she already had taught me. Um, You know, and I think that that's that's something that a lot of practitioners know now. Those basics. Mm -hmm. Practice. Don't just try to wing it. Mm -hmm. Make sure you know the slides. Don't read the bullet points as though you've never seen them before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some of those basics we in this industry know really well. But in times of challenge, it's easy to forget. So in in that role, while I was terrified, I had the opportunity to practice Mm -hmm. and make sure I knew the material before I was out there. I was still terrified the first few times I taught any of those courses. But before I was out there sort of thrown to the wolves, Mm -hmm. I had the preparation. And so I guess speaking of of the fundamentals and the basics, I mean, you've said before that now after all the craziness and all the the change of the last few years, um, you know, now's a good time for L&D to sort of slow down, take a breath and return to the basics as you described it. So what exactly do you you mean by that? Yeah, I think L&D right now has a lot of high level attention. And so what we need to do as practitioners in this field is capitalize on that attention. But we don't really need to do a whole lot of dramatic turning away from what we already know. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of uh, retention issues in a lot of companies. There's a lot of awareness that a way to keep people engaged and employed with your company is through development, which, you know, surprise, surprise, those of us that have been doing this for a long time have already known. So now is, is the moment for us to take advantage of the fact that we have this spotlight and it is, it feels like a crisis, But it's not because we know a lot of how to build engaging learning programs. We know how to career path, how to make sure people are getting what they need when they need it. We just need to apply that now. And I I certainly don't want anyone to think that I'm saying, just go back to where we were 20 years ago. Nothing has changed. You know, that first program that I mentioned when I was working at the software development company, when we hired new staff, we put them through a 16-week boot camp where that's all they did was learn for 16 weeks at a time. They weren't doing any output. They weren't working on any client problems because it was so specialized and we really needed them to understand all of these fundamentals. I'm not suggesting that we go back to that. I don't think that any uh, board of directors would see that as as progress in our employee development paths. But the basic fundamentals of having learning and development staff that know their material, that have a chance to practice it, those still apply. Our rules of how do we engage adults? How do we use the the traditional 70-20-10 model of you know 70% on the job, 20% informal, 10% formal learning? We can still apply those. And maybe instead of using those those formula against the 16 week program, we're condensing that into an hour program, right? I know that the models have changed, the mm-hmm. the methodology and the delivery models have changed, but the basics, we, we as professionals that have been doing learning and development, we shouldn't feel surprised. We shouldn't mm-hmm. feel panicked. We shouldn't say, how are we possibly gonna teach people? Because it's the same way we've taught people all along. We're just leveraging what we know right now mm-hmm. In, in shorter programs, but still using the best practices we've acquired over all these years. Yeah. And uh, I wonder, like, now that you are 
as we mentioned, um, training and helping like creative people learn, that must be quite a different story than like more technical, very specialized. Like how do you see the your learning approach has changed facing this change? <laughs> yes, that's a great question. And it's definitely been a challenge for me because in the past, you know, in that first job, which was many years ago, there were right and wrong answers, yeah. right? We were teaching people, how do you do this math to calculate the value of this future's position on this market? Mm. And if you did the math wrong, I could teach you how to do the math right. Yeah. Um, but when the question comes up, how do you create the best ad campaign? Exactly. Very, very hard to grade, right? No, <laughs> no correct answer. Um, so what we've done at Publicist Group, and keep in mind, we have all this huge breadth of, of staff, right? We have engineers, we have consultants, mm. we have um, media and technology people, we have data experts. And then, of course, our traditional, when you think about your your madmen, right? Yeah. We have those people as well. Don um, Draper's. Can yes, I imagine we, them taking like a, a yeah. training course? A data analytics course. <laughs> yeah. Don, Don Draper's really, really <laughs> signing up for all our data analytics courses. Uh, <laughs> so what we do is we, we try to... Um, really provide a depth of training and then as much exposure to examples as possible. Mm. Um, and we mentioned in the introduction that my team is quite small. We really work as a center of excellence and we really leverage learning and development teams in each market around the world at Publicis Group. Mm. We talked about some of them, you know, the UK, China, Germany, but really we have experts in pretty much every market where Publicis operates. And those might be smaller teams, but this huge network within Publicist Group is over 200 people. Mm -hmm. And we leverage that, those connections to get examples and things that will resonate for whatever skill set and whatever market we're looking at. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that is a one size fits all solution, obviously. Mm -hmm. So for us right now, we're really focused on variety. And mm -hmm. then we're using some internal um, we mentioned earlier artificial intelligence to bring connections to people to what really is going to help them at the time of need. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a very different approach, yeah. but it's still leveraging those fundamentals of what we know to help our learners take the best out of what they can to move forward. Mm. So it's um, AI in the flow of work. Um, we've heard about that a lot. I don't know in reality how that how well that works in practice. Uh, but I I believe yeah that that is the future where we need to 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 go towards. Yeah, and I would agree with there, there's a little tone of question in your voice there, and I I think that that is still a challenge. I mean, we're really trying to get in the flow of work. We're trying to get people. We have a growth dashboard here where, based on what your colleagues have completed and rated mm. well, based on what you've done, your current career position, your aspirations. We're trying to recommend this will be the mm. next best thing for you to learn. Yeah. We still haven't built an engine to generate more time for people. But <laughs> if anyone knows where that is, I could definitely use it myself. But th that's still the feedback that we get. Mm. This is great. Yay. When am I supposed to do this? How do I have time to build this into my day? So it's, it's definitely future looking and mm. hasn't been completely delivered on yet but we're working on it for sure yeah mm -hmm. that's what innovation looks like it's you know figuring out as we go and 
Um, yeah. We don't know every step yet, but, but no, yeah. I think I think solving for time constraints—that's that's the biggest thing, right? And you, yeah, there's really no, as you said, Carol, there's no there's no easy solution for that, right? <laughs> I, I think it, what I would like to see, um, and I don't know that it this is easy, but I really think that not just in you know any one company, but universally, the more we see leaders in companies modeling mm-hmm. making time for learning the better that's going to be for our industry. Um, And it it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? We know that learning cultures develop in companies where employees see their learners participating, sharing things on internal social networks, Mm -hmm. um, highlighting recent events where they might say, I, you know, I read this article or I attended this conference or I spoke at a conference. That's kind of, back to basics but the more we see that the more it gives people permission to make time in their day um and and some of it is you know if you're um in a role where you're billing a client and you have to you're responsible for a certain amount of hours per week or per month when we win new clients carving out time and saying if you want us to be best positioned to serve your business you have to allow our staff time to make sure they're up to speed on things Mm. so again the information is changing and what we need to teach people is going to constantly evolve. But the methods and the application, its that goes back to the basics, right? It's that idea of giving people permission mm-hmm. and having leaders model it so that they know, oh, this is important. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like you've bit, built a great culture of leadership um, at, at the group. And at least, as you said, the leaders are demonstrating the the right attitude towards learning and not saying like, hey, every hour of your day should be on client billable hours working yeah. and not learning. And, right. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it, it evolves everywhere and every dif- every team has a little bit of nuance, but certainly um, having some emphasis on Marcel overall, which I mentioned is our internal connection tool. Certainly I lead the the classic LMS side, but we know that there are those other, the 70% where you're just learning by connecting with your peers, um, mm. reading case studies, asking a question because you are working on a client and someone else that you read about on Marcel worked on a similar client or a similar challenge in the past. Um, that technology makes those things more approachable. Mm-hmm. We do have the challenge, though, of, of many people still working remotely and you making those things discoverable because in the past you might have found that out because you were grabbing a snack in the kitchen and someone mentioned to you, oh, did you know that Tom worked on a similar client? Right. So we're trying to use technology to bridge that gap mm-hmm. and make sure that people are able to access the, those bits of information that they used to kind of just stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the world of work now, it's so much harder to, to find these sort of improvisational social moments where you can overhear something that happens to change your whole whole day or whole week or whole project, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, on that question of content curation, it, I'd really love to hear a little more on how that works exactly with Marcel classes. I mean, with so many learners, you know, over 90,000 learners and a lot of experts as well, you no doubt have a real depth of expertise out there. Um, how exactly is it that you channel that to create the right learning experiences at the right time? Yeah, we're doing the best we can. (laughs) It's definitely still a work in progress, um, as everything is. Um, And I think what we try to do from the curation standpoint is figure out 
Um, number one, what are the topics that are most critical for the largest uh, set of our employees? Mm-hmm. Um, working in media and advertising, we're getting lots and lots of questions about the metaverse. We're getting questions about Web 3.0. So some of that is a little bit more leaning towards the the tech sort of trendy topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do try to curate those. And of course, we have people that are publishing white papers and publishing um, you know, point of view documents. And we're curating that expertise. We're able to use Marcel to curate those bits of information along with any more formal training that we might have that's related. It's almost like we're doubling down on some of the core essential skills of management training, um, emotional intelligence, leading with empathy. Um, a lot of the information that, again, hasn't really changed that much when we think back over the last 20 or 30 years, disc sessions, a disc workshop, working with your team, those are all bits of material that have been around for a long time, but people are finding more valuable than ever. Mm-hmm. So we're we're it's we're sort of bridging this gap between up and coming information is changing all the time and information that we've known for a long time, but people maybe haven't taken advantage of or our workforces really do. So, you know, 20 years ago, someone might have done a disc workshop and now we have employees that weren't even born yet that are just coming <laughs> into corporate worlds and needing to get that information for themselves. Sure. I was wondering, like, with with such a big uh, group that you're serving, like, how do you prioritize, like, the different learning needs and, like, what to ship first? And, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's I think, a, a big challenge for every L&D. Yeah. It, so we are really fortunate to work with that network of L&D experts in different markets in different mm. countries. So my team is really the central meeting point, but we're not setting the right. agenda for the entire mm. publicist group. So when we're building new content, we're working on content that is required or important for all of the different audiences within publicist group. Mm. So that's in terms of development, our core focus. In terms of curation, we really partner closely with those individual markets and say, what what are your sales teams asking for? Mm-hmm. What are your client service teams asking for? Yeah. And it, it varies hugely depending on the client focus, yeah. the, the region, um, you know, language skills yeah. and what we have available in different languages. So in that role, we're really... We are not prioritizing for people. We are helping based yeah. on their priorities. Right. And would the would you say that the main partner for L and D are like the business teams, like the sales teams, as you mentioned, or the the customer support teams, because uh, they are the one telling it, telling your local L and D managers like what they need, and then surfacing it, that up back to yeah. Them. That, that's definitely the model we try to mm-hmm. recommend. Yeah. Um, and the group is so vast that it varies everywhere. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, we might have, we might partner really closely with, you know, 50% of an employee who's an HR generalist in Spain. Mm-hmm. But the leadership team there is so closely integrated that that person knows really well what's important in the Spanish market. Um, yeah. We have a, a bigger team that we work with in the UK because that's a, mm-hmm. a bigger market. Mm-hmm. Um, so... They have they work more closely with their chief talent officer who works more closely with the business leads there. Yeah. But definitely it's coming from what people are hearing that they need. And, mm-hmm. you know, employee surveys impact that. Um, 
new hire surveys, onboarding mm. surveys, and then also when people leave, mm. we are doing a lot of research into what their exit surveys say. Yeah. Mm. So all of that information feeds our pipeline mm-hmm. of what material is crucial to our employees at this moment. Correct. Yeah. I imagine with such a broad group of learners and with, you know, learning needs being declared on such a range of subjects, um, there must be some surprises for you, Carol, I mean, with having such a such a broad base. Like, what, what are some of the mo- more surprising, um, I guess, developments in terms of, you know, learner need or course creation that, that um, you've come across recently? That's an interesting question, Tom. I think the what I find most surprising, um, not this isn't necessarily um, a response to a particular topic, mm-hmm. but... Um, given my particular demographic and age group, what I found most surprising was when the pandemic started, there was a lot of talk at our company about how everyone has gained an hour back in their day because they're not commuting anymore. I personally have young children at home. So when the pandemic started, I had a lot less time in my day because <laughs> suddenly my husband and I were juggling who's teaching, who's monitoring, who's doing what. Oh, they eat all the time, right? So all these things that we, you know, during a regular school year were not focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept hearing from leaders, people have all this time, people have all this time. And really our utilization skyrocketed during mm-hmm. the pandemic. So we did have a lot more people doing a lot more learning. And when we surveyed people, I was expecting to hear from my own personal lens, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time. And when we surveyed people, they all said, this is amazing, I have an extra hour back in my day. (laughs) So it really did go back to um, what uh, this assumption that people were using that extra time for learning. Mm -hmm. And I think that the difference is that within Publicis Group, demographically, we have a very young employee base. We have Mm -hmm. a lot of people where this might be their first or second job, they actually, they're not parents or they're not engaged in caring for um, elders in their families. Yeah. And the isolation that they were feeling during the pandemic, because either they were living alone or they were living with some roommates mm. or they moved back in with their parents, but they were feeling disconnected. They were using learning as a bit of a solve for that. Mm-hmm. So like I said, that's that wasn't surprising in terms of the topics or the information that they were gravitating towards. But just that particular point, now that I'm looking back at two years worth of data, it's very clear. And and I found that surprising because it was very different from my own personal experience. Yeah, I love this finding so much. It feels like... Um, it makes me feel like I'm reading like Freakonomics and explaining why like the crime rates is related to some random things that you've never thought of. And it's so true that when you look back, you can identify like these patterns that will help you better serve your audience mm-hmm. in the sense that maybe for companies with younger people, maybe more in startups or creative environments, um, there's a larger appetite or need for L&D um, in a different way than traditional, more traditional companies with yeah with uh, different age groups. I, I think that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. So Carol, speaking of, I guess, the difficulties in the last year, few years with uh, keeping learners motivated and engaged, um, you know, you've mentioned the idea before of L&D having to start everything they do by answering one key question, which is what's in it for the learner? Why should the learner care about this? So um, at the moment, you know, in your work, how exactly are you answering that question? Sure. I think that it goes back to what I was saying earlier. We all, people in this field know what we're doing, right? And we just have to remember that we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And that does start 
all the way back at the beginning of any learning session where we've all learned that the very first introduction says, in today's session, you will learn. Mm -hmm. Or if it's an e-learning, in this module, you will learn. Um, and crafting those objectives in a way that is crystal clear. Mm. And I think what makes it different in this environment is that we really want to focus on one thing, right? In the past, you might have had, I mentioned, we did a program that was 16 weeks. And over the next 16 weeks, you will learn these major topics and these themes. As we apply those same lessons and best practices into more and more micro learning or people with busier and busier schedules, we want to say, in this next video, you will learn this one thing mm -hmm. and how it will help your job. You will learn best practices for client service in order to retain clients and ensure that Publicist Group is able to um, grow our business organically, right? So crystal clear mm -hmm. what the video or the interactive e-learning or the um, the virtual session that's asynchronous or asynchronous session exactly what it will cover and how it will help you. And I think mm. that that's something that our L&D delivery teams are really getting good at honing and making sure that that what's in it for me statement is the very first thing that's revealed so that people know this is a valuable use of my time. No, absolutely. I think that resonates a lot with, I mean, we've all been just juggling more and more demands on our time and uh, starting from that key question is a great way to get people yes. motivated for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Carol, you used to be training like really technical profiles. Um, Publicist Group is working a lot with emerging technologies, meaning you have a range of ever-changing topics to cover. Um, how are you managing this? As best we can. Is that a good answer? <laughs> so it's, it's a constant race, right? So I think in any field, there's always an evolution of what's the most important topic now, um, you know, there are core fundamental skills. And I mentioned earlier, we really tried to go back to some of the basics. You know, what is uh, the core fundamentals of emotional intelligence or team management? But the technology is always going to change. So mm -hmm. what I encourage people to do in terms of the latest news is get material built quickly and then refine it. Right. We in advertising, there are a million different ad server tools or ad optimization tools. And there's no way we can expect any of our junior employees to always be certified and expert in all of the different potential options out there. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is provide access to as many partner trainings as we can, and then just keep iterating on those, right? So if it's, whether it's a company as big as Facebook or a really small demand side platform, you know, that's going to change all the time. And, and I think we have to make space for our employees to understand they're going to learn some of that on the job, going back to the 70-20-10 rule. Mm -hmm. And what we need them to understand at the beginning is the basics of how it works. Here's some training on this particular tool or a different particular tool. And then it's our responsibility to help them keep up to date with changes on those tools. We're never going to get ahead of that curve. So we do our as best we can to stay sort of in the middle of that curve. Mm -hmm. While we're talking about this this uh, concept of iteration and, and I guess L&D survival, um, you know, your your ratio of, of a team of 10 L&D leaders to 90,000 learners, it's up there with maybe the leanest um, we've ever heard about on, on this podcast. Um, so how exactly do you and your team pull 
that ratio off? How, how does it work? It really is all about the matrix and the collaboration that we have. So mm-hmm. we are really within one of the first teams at Publicis Group that's operating on this this fully cross cross agency cross country model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a just you know kind of um not a grand plan across Publicis Group, but it worked out that when the group was selecting a learning management system that would work for all of the different needs, they pulled together different representatives from our different solution hubs, our different agency teams, our different markets. And I like to describe it as a dance-off where we said, Mm. this is what my platform does. This is what my platform does. And at the time, the team that I was leading was supporting just one fraction of Publicis Group. (laughs) And we won the dance-off. You know, the the tool that we were using was the one that most of the L&D practitioners thought was the most broadly applicable. Mm-hmm. So rather than try to take over and do a top-down, you know, command and control method and say, okay, well, this technology is the one that's been deemed most useful. Therefore, everyone has to do everything our way. My team was really able to build close relationships with all of the other users of that technology. Mm-hmm. And so we work with them. There, obviously, there's no way we could support 90,000 learners yeah. in from one tiny little team and when we think about the extended network it's closer to 200 people which is an amazing situation for my team because we get to learn from all those people all mm-hmm. those 200 we call them super users because they have administrative rights in the learning management system they create courses there are so many programs that are up and running that we don't even know about right they're just people come to us when they have a problem or a new situation that they have to approach but we're not by any stretch of the imagination in charge or running everything. Mm-hmm. We're working and supporting people so that they can deliver what they know is most needed for their learners and their audience, um, which is really a joy. People that gravitate towards this field tend to be really nice. They tend to yeah. like to collaborate. Yeah. Um, and so we just have a better network than we had before. And that's been a really a, a really pleasant aspect of this job. Gotcha. So, Carol, we've discussed a lot of great things today. Before we finish up, is there anything else uh, you'd like our listeners to take away from this discussion? Um, Tips or advice? Yeah, I think it's just a summary of the theme I've come back to over and over, which is if you're a practitioner in this field, relax. You got this. You know what you're doing. Um, And maybe if you're a brand new practitioner in this field, Mm -hmm. you still need to practice. Mm. And maybe if you've been doing this for a couple of decades, you need to relax and think back to some of those basics. Mm. But I think it's important for us to understand that the world is crazy. We have all this frenzy, but nothing has actually changed about the fundamentals of how we deliver learning Mm -hmm. to our audiences. A lot has changed in the modalities and the timing and how we curate and how we Um, build content to grab people's attention, but the core principles of stating what's in it for the learner, giving them examples, having time to practice, letting them ask questions. This is all material we know, Mm. um, and we can rely on that foundation of understanding. We don't have to throw everything out and start from scratch. Um, And I think that that's, that's helped keep me calm during the chaos of the last two and a half years. Um, and I think that that's an important thing for people to remember. Yeah. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. I'm going to grab you. I'm totally taking that for my own. I did not invent Slow that. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Excellent. Excellent.
Thanks so much to Carol for joining us. For listeners who wish to connect with other L&D leaders, please consider joining the L&D Collective, our free community where L&D leaders come together to share knowledge, build relationships, and experience collaborative learning in action. If you're looking for more great collaborative learning stories, be sure to subscribe to L&D Plus wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our show notes for more L&D resources from 360 Learning. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.